for our diving Hope comes and stops us in our tracks Bravely we prove in our striving Trudging together each day Hello, everyone, and welcome to Raw Recovery. It is Friday, Friday, Friday. We know what we usually do on Friday, so instead of going out and spending that paycheck, let's go ahead and sit down, get some spirituality today, some Raw Recovery. Uh, today's guest um, is Dave, and, and Dave is in my home group. Um, and we've gotten to know each other over the last couple of months um, he's just an easygoing guy, real easy to talk to you, Dave. You're real easy to talk to. You. I love that. Um, has some great things to say in the meeting. I think has some good emotional sobriety, and that's why I asked him to come on. Um, so, uh, um, yeah, raw recovery with Dave today. Uh, Dave, welcome to the show. Thanks for taking your time and coming on and sharing your experience, strength, and hope. I appreciate it. Thanks, Dion. I'm glad to be here with you today. Um, thanks for asking me, you know, uh, you know, you asked me to speak today and, and I'd like to say that, you know, I, I, I gave this a lot of thought. I didn't, I, I Thank usually, you. I usually give these things, uh, up to my higher power, which I call God sure. and yeah. ask God to kind of lead me on these things. And, and, and I think what I would like to do with you today is I'd like to kind of just give you an idea of, of how I got where I'm at today. Okay. Um, uh, as I and, and I'm Dave. I'm an alcoholic. Uh, my Dave. sobriety date is is uh, September uh, 9th, two thousand thirteen. All right. Um, All right. As you know, that's uh, I got about seven years of sobriety. Um, I want to just kind of give you an idea of what happened, uh, what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. And so we'll just start there, just to kind of give you some idea of of my recovery. Okay. That'd be fantastic. Uh, I, uh, uh, I, I took my first drink when I was, uh, 12 years old. Okay. Let me, let me preface this by, I'm, I'm actually a child of an alcoholic. My father right. is, is an alcoholic. He's 87 years old. My father is still drinking to this day. Oh, wow. At 87. Has, that's actually pretty impressive. It is, you know, and, and it's, it's, it's sad. It's yeah. really sad. My father was a member of Alcoholics Anonymous too. Okay. Um, I will tell you that my father struggled from with alcoholism. I, I remember as a child, uh, probably four or five years old, my father being taken away uh, in an ambulance because uh, my mother said that he got beat up by somebody. Well, my father was drunk yeah. and uh, he, he, he got himself into an altercation. Um, I didn't know that till later on in life. Sure. But over the years, I, I experienced my father's alcoholism and then um, and, you know, and I, and I remember uh, the anger my father had. I remember the way that he treated me. Mm -hmm. um, I remember all of that. And, and, and I never wanted to be like my dad. I will tell you okay. that to this, to this day. That's not somebody I wanted to be. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, I turned out to be like my dad okay. in, in many ways. Um, I took my first drink probably when I was about 12 years old. And first, I should probably preface that by the fact that my parents divorced when I was 10 years old. Okay. My father okay. left. He was really not much into my life. And, and I felt this abandonment. I uh. felt this, this, this whole thing. And, and most of my life, even when my father was there, I, I'm a middle child of five children. And, and okay. I felt like 
I never belonged. I, I never even felt like I belonged in my family. Yeah. Um, I just felt like there was just, I, I just didn't belong no matter where I was at. Mm -hmm. And when I took that first drink, I got to tell you, it gave me a feeling, first of all, you know, that feeling of it burns when it goes down, but then there was that sensation that yeah. came. And the it warmth gave me in the stomach when it hits and yes. Mm -hmm. and, and, and that's what I felt. And, 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 and then I felt a sensation of everything's okay. Yeah. And it seemed that that was, that was kind of the answer. And then off and on I drank. And, um, and, and then when I got into, uh, uh, got into junior high school, um, I, I, I smoked some pot. My sister got me high when I was probably, I want to say I would actually, I was in fourth grade when my sister got me high. Okay. And, and, and I got sick. Okay. And, um, and of course, I bribed my sister that I was going to tell somebody if they didn't go get me ice cream. Um, I must have, <laughs> must have even had the munchies at that age, you know, you never know. But, you know, and, and so, you know, it, it never progressed. Yeah. From there. And I, I'm curious about something because you had brothers and sisters, too. Who took over the dad role? Did you do that or did you have an older brother or sister that tried to do that? I've got an older brother and an older sister and my you know, my dad would show up from time to time, but not very often. My older okay. brother kind of took that role. My older brother, uh, and I'll talk a little bit about my older brother in a little bit, but my older brother, you know, was my best friend and, and my brother was my hero. Okay. He was, uh, he was, he really was everything cool. to me. And uh, my, my brother thought that he was an alcoholic at the age of uh, 16 because of his <laughs> drinking and smoking pot. My brother quit drinking and never drank. He didn't, he just stopped. And, wow. and, he, and he never drank again until he was probably in his 40s. Okay. And, my, and it turned out my brother wasn't an alcoholic. Yeah. My brother well, could stop. Well, the fact that he was 16 and said that right there kind of excluded him. <laughs> That's why I was laughing. I'm, I'm 16. But, some, but there again, some good life choices that he made. Mm -hmm. He's like, this might be going on. So I'm going to remove it because if that's the case, I don't want to end up that way. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, he, he did that. And um, I couldn't do that. I, yeah. I started drinking when I was, I started probably drinking when I was in junior high school. But when I got into high school, it really went off. Um, okay. That's at that point in time that I started getting into other drugs, uh, oh. methamphetamine, Whew, uh, right. uh, cocaine. Obviously, I was smoking pot a lot. And, you know, drugs are very much a part of, of my alcoholic story. Okay. Um, but they weren't my preference. I remember being in high school and, and at 18 uh, in Colorado, you could actually buy three, two beer. Yeah. So yeah. we could buy beer. And I remember, I, I, I think the, I remember the first sensations were about 18, 17, 18 years old when I would go to these parties and stuff. And if somebody didn't call me and go to a party on a Friday or a Saturday, I was just depressed and I was mm -hmm. just out of, out of my head. Yeah, um, yeah. I ran out of pot. I was out of my head. And I remember even walking to the store to get, uh, if you look at the house that I lived in, there was two fences that went together, but there was a void in the middle. I'll bet okay. if you went back there today, you'd see all the quart bottles of, of beer that I used to throw away because I would <laughs> sneak out my window and throw them away after yeah. I got done yeah. drinking them. But I craved alcohol. And, 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 and so that's, that, that, that's where it started. And um, I got heavily into cocaine. Um, and at the, about the age of 21, um, was asked, well, my family, let me go back up a little bit. So at okay. the age of 10, my father left at the age of, 
Uh, I, I also met a man who was a big brother to me, like through a big brother, big sister program, okay. but it was through social services. All right. And he was a college professor. I grew up in Greeley, Colorado. All right. Um, okay. And, and that's where I grew up at. I went to junior high, high school, uh, college, you know, elementary school, all of that there. And, and this man came along and, and he, he would take me places and stuff. And um, he became a mentor and he became like a father to me. And at the age of 12, I moved in with him and his family. Wow. Um, okay. he, has a, he has a son that's about 10 years older than me. And, um, and so he was off at college. So he, he brought me into his home. My mother couldn't give him anything. And he became my legal guardian for, you know, tax purposes and, yeah. and other purposes. And so I lived with him until I was 22 years old. Okay. Um, and I'm, and I'm very fortunate to have had that. However, he saw the spiral down mm-hmm. of me um, at the age of 21. Yeah. Um, it was cocaine and it was drinking. And I thought my problem was cocaine. And so they put me into a rehab. Right. And then my father actually got together. My father was sober at the time going to AA. And I'd gone to some AA meetings with my dad when I was younger. Okay. Um, so, you know, it used to be as a kid, you'd go in there and they were all smoking and stuff. I mean, how horrible <laughs> those, those rooms were. But Anyway, I'm sorry, so, but I miss those rooms. <laughs> yeah, well, you're a smoker, so you yeah. miss them. Me, I don't smoke, so it, it was the best. Whenever, whenever I could, I always tried to find a meeting that didn't have smoking in them. Yeah, um, once Col- I and Colorado was really good about that. We had a lot of non-smoking meetings. We did. Yeah, and I've been around the country where they've had smoking meetings, and yeah. I've actually, I've actually gotten up and left. Um, just because I couldn't handle the smoking. Sure. Yeah. There's still places I think that still have smoking uh, meetings. So. Yeah. Anyway, so 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 you know what happened was is I, I went to this 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 re- rehab in Greeley, and it was at that point that they started that that I learned about Alcoholics Anonymous. I learned about Narcotics Anonymous at the time. I was pretty young at that time. This okay. is back in probably 1980. I guess 83, maybe mm. 84, something like that. And, and so I was introduced to, I was given a big book. I was given an NA book and I was, and, and I was introduced. And at that time, they didn't really take you out to meetings. You just every did everything in, inpatient. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I, and so I was introduced to it and I, and I tried to go to some of the meetings and stuff like that, but I just, again, I didn't feel like I belong. Um, okay. I just, uh, and, and I didn't, and, and here was the other thing is, is, I didn't think I had a problem with alcohol. Yeah, thought you, you thought your problem was, was cocaine. I thought my problem was cocaine. Mm-hmm. And so I stayed sober for probably maybe six, nine months. And then, you know, we always talk about changing your friends, mm-hmm. you know, and I didn't change my friends. And, and what ended up happening was, is I started hanging out with those guys again. Mm-hmm. And they started saying, you know, you don't have a problem with alcohol. You don't have a problem with drugs, you know you're okay. You know, you just had a bad run. And, and, and so, you know, again, you know, peer pressure, all of that, I ended up, you know, drink, starting to drink again. And, um, and then I would, and, 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 and it started out slower again. And, 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 then um, I kind of managed to kind of stay sober for long periods of time. And then I would go drink again, or I, I, I but I tried to stay away from the cocaine. Mm-hmm. And then um, uh, I met somebody in college, uh, my wife, I met her in college, we got married and uh, I had started a job, which is where I ended my career for 35 years. Um, I started a job there and my cocaine dealer was the guy that got me the job with the company. (laughs) (laughs) 
So what do you well, think? Yeah. All right. You know. Hold up. What's that? Um, from Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Hold on, lady. We're going for a ride. <laughs> well, it, it was a ride. And, and, and it's interesting because I started with the company before I got married. And okay. even, even during my wedding, uh, before I got married, we had a, some sort of a dinner that where all the families got together and I needed to leave her. I, I, you know, they were going to go back and hang out at the hotels and everything, the families that came in for my wife. And I said, well, you know, I'm going to go away and do my little bachelor kind of, I'm going to go hang out with some of my buddies. Yeah. And we yeah. went to the mountains and of course, cocaine, alcohol, it was a big party, came back. I felt the guilt and the shame of it. And I confronted my wife and told her what happened. And okay. she, she almost didn't marry me. And wow. uh, I don't know why she did, but um, oh. she did. And, and what ended up happening was, is I, I, I maintained staying sober for a while and not getting involved. And then I got involved in the cocaine again. Okay. And I was at my house and I said to my wife, I said, uh, I've got a problem and I need help. And yeah. this is after doing a bunch of cocaine and, you know, if anybody that's done cocaine understands the, the crash that comes with it. Oh, yeah. And, and I had come, was coming down and I just I had all this guilt, this shame. And I said, I need help. And um, I went back to the treatment center again for the second time. OK. And at that point in time, um, my wife left me. And, okay. while, and while you were in treatment, while I was in treatment, she didn't okay. come to my family days. I didn't have her support. Didn't have any of that. It was pretty it was pretty bad. OK. And then, How long had you been married? Um, I'd probably been married for maybe a couple of years at the time. Okay. So she and was probably fairly knowledgeable about addiction and alcoholism. She really was. And she was okay. very naive about it. Um, All right. uh, and, 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 and what's interesting is, is later on, she found out about it because her, one of her uncles was an anesthesiologist. Okay. And, and she found out that he was going to AA and it turns <laughs> out that he was, he, he was a drug addict. Ah. And, um, and because he was an anesthesiologist, he was, taking his own his own drugs wow and so it was it's interesting yeah but she did she did and her mother helped her understand a little bit about it okay so she had some kind of support or something going on saying yeah you need to get out of this situation sounds like it was mom it, it, it was very much mom and and uh um, okay but you know she did she ended she did come back and we tried to make the marriage work and then okay. other things happened and and then my wife left me um right. and i managed to and, and then she came back again um, about, uh, six months later okay. and we, and I had been sober now for probably about a year All after right. this, this treatment program. Um, I tried to go to AA. I tried to go to NA again. My problem I always felt was cocaine. It wasn't <laughs> alcohol. Um, I continued to be in denial that it was alcohol Yeah. and I managed to, you know, we got back together. We man I managed to stay sober for four or five years. We ended up having wow. twin boys and right before the twin, while she was pregnant, um, and I want to explain something to 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 your audience, and, okay. and, and that is is that because I didn't have a solution to my alcoholism um, and to my drug addiction, mm -hmm. what ended up happening was is during this period of time for four or five years, however long it was that I was sober. I still had this thing called restless, irritable, and discontent. Yep. And I did not know anything about that until I actually started working this program yeah. and learned about what that means. And yeah. I had that for four or five years and eventually, and I didn't have a solution. And eventually what happened was, is I went to a friend's house mm -hmm. um, and, and he had beer 
and I, and I don't know why I drank and I started drinking again. Yeah. And yeah. then I drank and then, um, I did, I went and saw my children be born, went home from the hospital. I drank and then I continued to drink and, until my kids were almost a year old. When my wife said to me, you have a choice today, Dave, she yep. goes, yeah. either you get sober or you leave. Yeah. And I'm thir almost 30 years old. I'm 29 at the time. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to tell you this. My choice was alcohol and drugs. And yeah. I left my wife and I left my children and I moved out. And because I wanted this party lifestyle. Yeah. And that continued. That continued until I, for, uh, I did end up in another rehab. Um, and this was because of cocaine again, by the way, <laughs> because I was living in Glenwood Springs and was getting some, some of the best cocaine. Oh, yeah. Out uh, yeah. All you had to say was Glenwood Springs. So it's kind of, <laughs> yeah. Or Vail or, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's where you and, go to get the good stuff, man. It was coming out of Aspen. And, and I was. Uh, I was buying I was buying cocaine across the street from a from a uh, from the police station in Glenwood Springs. Yeah, you know that's the kind of stupid stuff we do. Actually, so that's anyway, the safest place to do it. They're not checking there. But but even, I shouldn't tell people how to do that. I apologize. Well, that's true. Yeah. Um, but you know the interesting thing is is that that I was also drinking too. Yeah. And I was drinking heavily mm -hmm. and I didn't understand, didn't understand, you know, well, you know, I, but I always had to have the alcohol. If I didn't have the cocaine, I always had the alcohol. And of course I smoked pot again and okay. all of this stuff. And, and I, I, but what if you, what if you had the cocaine and not the alcohol, would you have felt the same way? You know, looking back on it today, I, I absolutely understand the, the, the methamphetamines in the past. I also understand the, the cocaine and the reason why I did those things was so I could drink. Okay. Um, it was yeah. amazing because, you know, you could be, you know, whenever I started drinking, I always started looking for the cocaine so that I could drink more. Mm. And I know that today is, is that it allowed me to drink more. Oh, yeah. Uh, one thing I understand about, you know, my alcoholism is, is that it, it is, it, it, uh, I like the effect of alcohol. But I also, if there's any way that I can intensify the effect of, 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 of my alcohol or whatever I'm doing, I'm looking for something to intensify that effect. And that's what I was doing with, with the cocaine and Always. the alcohol together. Yep. Just trying to get to, trying to, so I could drink more. I could intensify the effect. Mm -hmm. um, unfor you know, fortunately, I didn't have any negative consequences of that. Uh, I eventually moved back to Greeley. Um, again, because of the cocaine, I ended up going back to the same rehab for the third time okay and, and at that point in time uh i got out and i and, and again alcohol wasn't my problem cocaine mm -hmm. was my problem i'm i'm now probably 31 years old and there's no way you know i'm probably 31 32 and there's no way that alcohol is a problem so within probably i, I went to na mm -hmm. i did all of that and, you know, every time I went to these programs, I remember them saying, you know, get a sponsor, work the steps. Well, my way of working the steps was to sit there and look at them on the wall. Yeah. You know, yeah. Powerless, we're powerless over alcohol. My life has become unmanageable. Okay, I got that. I yeah. got that. We're done. You know, yep. You know, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Eh, I don't really know about this God thing, you know. And, and then, you know, we, we made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God, the third step. Yeah. I don't know about this God thing. <laughs> and so, you know, for me, uh, within probably six, nine months, I yeah. maybe yeah. a year, I walked away again and I went back to drinking again. Mm -hmm. 
and then, um, you know, I'm still, you know, I'm still in the same career path that I'm on and still with the same company. And, and now I'm a functional alcoholic who goes to work every day, comes home, drinks heavily every night, gets up, goes to work. I was never somebody who missed a lot of work or anything. Okay. And then um, I ended up taking a job where I ended up traveling with this, with the company. And that was party on for oh, me. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, I remember uh, what it ended up being is, is I ended up in, in hotels for sometimes three, four months with the same group of people that I worked with around the country. And I'd be all over the country doing this. And, you know, they'd be these like a residence in type place okay. where you have a, a patio area, you have grills. And it's just, it was party on every night. Yeah. And that went on for, for many years. Um, and so what ended up happening was, is, you know, that's just a little bit of my drinking a career. And, and what ended up happening was, is um, in, in February of 2013, and, and, and let me kind of preface this a little bit. I want you get people to understand um, where my alcohol ism had had progressed i had okay. now progressed to the point where um i was drinking every night i can't yep. tell you even if i got sick with the flu or whatever mm -hmm. it was my my thought was is drink more jack daniels that'll actually kill the sure better than cough syrup yeah it really was and, and 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 so i progressed to this point where i drank every night so i was an evening drinker okay. and it got to a point where every day I would, I it got to a point where I was, I was working six days a week, 12 hour days. And I, because I was more one of the senior people in my job, I could finish my job uh, earlier in the day. And my first thought when I finished my last, my last appointment every day, my first thought was, is do I have enough alcohol in the refrigerator before I go back to that, that hotel? Mm -hmm. And I would always go back. I never ran out. I always knew that if I was in a place where Sunday they didn't sell alcohol, I made sure I had plenty. Yep. Um, I was to the point where I was drinking um, a handle of vodka and probably, you know, a case of beer um, every four to five days. Yeah. Easily. And then eventually it became a, a handle of vodka about every two to three days. Mm -hmm. And so it just continued to progress to that point. And I would wake up in the morning and I was, I was on this merry-go-round, I couldn't get off. And I would wake up in the morning, hungover saying, I'm not gonna do this today. And by three, four o'clock in the afternoon, I'm thinking again, do I have enough booze in the refrigerator to get me through this night? And, and I had to have more than enough, not just enough, but more than enough. Yeah. Um, we've all heard that you know in this program, uh, especially as alcoholics, that one is too many and a thousand is not enough. And it's so mm -hmm. true. We talk about this phenomenon of craving and it talks about it in the big book. And it says that, you know, the only way to arrest the phenomenon of craving is not to take that first drink. Correct. And I'm one of those people that once I took that first drink, I can't tell you how many I'm going to have. Yeah. Um, I had blackouts during these periods. Mm -hmm. um, I had all of these things happen. And that's where my, my alcoholism progressed to. I would wake up in the morning and I would literally, and there were, I would like wake up for the last five years of my drinking. Okay. I woke up to, to a song and songs in my head. 
And the song that I usually woke up to was a song by Amy Whitehouse that said, I need to go to rehab. And I'd yeah. sit there and I'd go, no, no, no. I don't. no. Yeah. And, and, and that was the song that was in my head every yeah. day. Wow. And I, I was, I will tell you, I was so sick and tired of feeling sick and tired, mm-hmm. but I didn't know, I didn't have a solution. I didn't know how to get off the merry-go-round. You know, I don't know if anybody that's probably my age, um, what, what you're going to find is, is it, it, when, at, when I was a kid in the playground, we had these merry-go-rounds where you'd push them. There were yeah. handles on them. You'd push them and you'd go <laughs> as fast as you could. And that thing, man, it would spin and spin and spin and you'd just be getting dizzy and you wanted to get off of it. That's what I felt like was I had no way because you can't just jump off one of those things. You hurt no. Yourself. Yeah. So me, you hold on tight or you're going to fly off and hurt. And I, that's what I tried to do. And I, and yeah. I, and I wanted to get off, but I didn't know how to get off. What a great expression, Dave. I, li- I like how you put that. It, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was the most uh, difficult time of my life that I just, I wanted off, but I didn't know how to get off. I was uh-huh. sick and tired of feeling sick and tired it talks about that in the big book, you know, yeah. I, and I got to that point. Well, so now we go back, let's go back to this. I started talking about uh, February of 2013. Okay. Um, I was, uh, I, I had flown to my sister's house in Austin, Texas and spent a week down there. And my sister got to a point where, uh, by the way, whenever I traveled anywhere, um, mm-hmm. I scuba dive all over the world. Oh, and, okay. and, and one of my tr- on my trips, everybody knew Dave carried a suitcase with him. Okay. And that suitcase was always full of handles of vodka. Uh, I would be gone no. for a week and that thing would have three or four handles of vodka. In it. Yeah. And, and, and so I carried it everywhere I went. And even when I went to see my sister in February of 2013, I went down and I, 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 I had my vodka with me, but I ran out. And they didn't sell on Sunday. And I'm asking my sister, where do they have any vodka? And I, I started, this is when I started drinking in the mornings. Yeah. And I, I would get up in the morning and I would pour orange juice and I'd pour vodka in it mm-hmm. because I didn't want anybody to know I was drinking in the morning. And then I would always take these naps in the afternoon and everybody thought I was just taking a nap because I was on vacation. Mm-hmm. But what was happening was I was passing out. Yeah. Um, I was just passing out on the couch. My sister has pictures of me there. Mm-hmm. My sister became very concerned about my drinking. So I came home from there and um, I get home and I'm laying down to take a nap because I had taken an early flight and I started feeling this, this, this swelling in my throat. Okay. And, and I'm thinking, gosh, you know, did I eat something? I ate something at the airport. Did I have allergic reaction to something? I don't have, I'm not allergic. I don't have allergies. I don't, I'm not allergic to anything. Okay. And so I realize I live alone and if this is what's happening, I need to go to an urgent care. So I went yeah. to an urgent care and they said my uvula was swelling up. They gave me, uh, they, they gave me some uh, Benadryl. Uh-huh. They gave me some others. Uh, they ended up saying, okay, well, listen, at 45 minutes later, we can't, this is continuing to swell. We have to give you some epinephrine and we need to transport you to the hospital. Yeah. Yep. So I get to the hospital, they give me five more shots of epinephrine and the ER doctor says, Dave, I need to get you on a breathing tube because if I don't, I'm gonna have to trach you yeah. and, 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 and you're gonna wake up in the intensive care unit. So, and this is part of my story that I wanna tell you that, that really started uh, make me aware of fear. Okay. And so what ended up happening was, is they gave me a shot and the doctor says, this is to relax you because I'm gonna give you another one, just go with it. And what ended up happening was is, 
all of a sudden this white screen came up and, and I see my life being played out through it with music. I love music. And so music okay. was being played out with it from my life. And at the end, my name gets signed and everything slaps shut black. Wow. And then I remember seeing a surgical light and then I wake up two days later in the intensive care unit. Turned out I had had an allergic reaction to a blood pressure medication I had on. Ah, lincinopril. Lincinopril. And so what ended up happening was they, uh, I now remember vividly, even to this day, that white screen. Mm -hmm. I remember what was played out on it. Wow. Uh, I think that was a near-death experience. And that Sounds was like it. To me after I got sober, I was playing golf with an ER doctor. He says, they lost you on the table and they brought Whoa. you back. So this began a time of fear for me and anxiety. And, and, um, and, and, and I started having um, uh, all of this anxiety. Okay. And, and, and what ended up happening was, is I would wake up at, I started, when I got out of the hospital, I started waking up between 2.30 and 4.30 in the morning. Mm -hmm. And I would be having these panic and anxiety attacks. And if anybody's ever had panic and anxiety, what ends up happening is, is you know, you begin to, your whole body tingles and then you yep. go into this full on panic. And I, and I would wake up thinking that I can't breathe and mm -hmm. I'm going to die. Oh. And this fear has overtaken me and this panic, mm -hmm. and this anxiety. So I would get up and now I, this is when I really started drinking every morning. Okay. And my job was such that if I wasn't working, I was sitting at home for sometimes two, three months. I got paid, but I, that was my rest time. So I would get home and I'd be home for two or three months. Okay. So I was home for about two months and, and at one point, and I was just drinking. And, right. and so probably ought to tell you this too. So Oxycontin is part of my, my story too. Yep. I was in a motorcycle accident about, okay. uh, about 18 years ago. Uh, ended up with some back injury and my doctor would prescribe, uh, and this is how we are as addicts and alcoholics. I'm a drinker. My mm -hmm. doctor gives me Vicodin. Vicodin has acetaminophen. And acetaminophen is bad for the liver. Mm -hmm. um, I had a liver scan. They found a little something there. It was benign. And okay. so when they gave that to me, I'm thinking, well, if I'm drinking and I'm taking this Vicodin, I'm really, really fucking my liver up and yep. I really don't yep. want to do this. So I called the doctor and said, hey, I can't take acetaminophen. That's what's in this. Remember that? they started prescribing the Oxycontin at that point. So I was using the Oxycontin. So I would get up and I would drink and I'd take some Oxycontin. Oxycontin, if you look on the bottle, it says mm -hmm. not to drink alcohol because this intensifies the effect. And the alcohol- Thanks for the instructions. For the instructions. <laughs> and I, I thought, this is awesome. And so I would take the Oxycontin and it allowed me to drink more. But what yeah. ended up happening was, is that I- not only, not only could I drink more, but I was now couldn't remember things the next morning. Yep. So I'm a smart alcoholic. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I used to keep a pad of paper next to my, my chair. And when I okay. called somebody, because I wasn't leaving my house, I was at a point now where I'm drinking all day. I get up in the morning with these panic attacks. I'm drinking. Okay. And then what ends up happening is, is I pass out. I get back up and I drink for the rest of the night. Yep. And then I pass out and I wake I up and just I just do the same cycle. thing over and over. And now my alcoholism is alcoholism has progressed to a to I mean just major alcoholism. I don't leave my house 
except for if I could sober up enough in the morning to go to Applejack Liquor, a, a liquor warehouse, buy four or five, six bottles of, of, of uh, handles of, of vodka and come home mm-hmm. and, and off to the races. And then I'd have to go back to work and I'd have to sober up. And then I would still have these panic attacks, but I was never somebody who drank while I worked. So I wasn't drinking in the morning. Yeah. So I had to try to get up. I would get up and walk outside, try to get this panic attacks to come down. But when, boy, when my day off came, man, I, if I woke up at 2.30 in the morning, I drank all day mm-hmm. until I passed out again and then got up and went to work on Monday. So I came home. <laughs> I'm now home again for a period of time. This is in in uh, before Labor Day weekend of 2013. And what ends up happening is, is that um, on the Friday, I wake up, I'm having this panic attack. Oh, by the way, I always drank, always poured orange juice in with my vodka in the morning because, you know, I had to have something healthy for breakfast. That's right. Yeah. Just how how alcoholics (laughs) think. And and so um, I, I had woken up on Friday morning about 4.30 in the morning with this huge pain in my stomach. And I had no idea what it was. So I came down, popped an Oxycontin, poured myself a glass of vodka with some orange juice and uh, got on WebMD. And Dr. Dave was going to go ahead and diagnose himself now. Self-diagnosis. And my diagnosis said, well, you either have uh, gallstones or pancreatitis. And I looked them both up and pancreatitis said alcohol. Mm-hmm. And I said, no way, I'm not an alcoholic. You know, I've got all the proof here that I'm an alcoholic by the way I'm drinking all the time. My life is spinning out of control. I'm sick and tired of feeling sick and tired. I want off the merry-go-round, but I'm not willing to admit that I'm an alcoholic. Yeah. So what ends up happening is I endure through this. And on Labor Day of 2013, I walk into the, I, I wake up and I said, enough, I've got to go to yeah. the emergency room. And this is where I, I, I want to talk a little bit about spirituality real quick. And that is, is that I was raised, I was, my father was Catholic. My mother was Protestant. Okay. I was baptized in a Seventh-day Adventist church. I was confirmed at a Presbyterian church. Okay. I had no concept of really what my God was, <laughs> but I believe that there had to be something out there, but I don't know. Yeah. Here's where I know today what happened to me as I'm walking down the stairs, this thought comes to my mind. And it says, you don't have to do this anymore. You're done. It's over. Yeah. And I know today what that was. And yeah. then I get to the hospital and the doctor says, how much do you drink? We just did a blood test. You have pancreatitis and you're going to die. Yeah. And he says, if you don't stop drinking, you're going to die. I'm scared to death because I'm now told, being told I have to stop drinking. Yeah. Um, I'm at this jumping off point that he talk about in the big book where I'm being told you either you stop drinking or you're going to die. The big book also says that, that if we want to ride this thing to the end, mm-hmm. what, what's going to happen is jails, institution, or death. Yep. Well, death yep. is at my doorstep. Mm-hmm. And I'm now being told you're going to die if you don't stop drinking. This will become chronic and you'll die. By the way, I've seen several people die of pancreatitis in this program. And okay, it's, It it's is horrible. real. Yeah. And, and so I asked him, how long do I need to stop drinking? And he says, forever. And yeah. that scared the living hell out of me. Because, okay. I, again, I, don't, I can't live without alcohol, but I can't live without it. Exactly. And, and so the doctor says, so the nurse comes in and starts talking to me. And, and she says, Dave, you've got to stop drinking. And I said, for how long? And she said, forever. <laughs> Same answer. Uh, and, 
and, and another doctor came in to talk to me about alcoholism and he's, and I said, for how long? And he said, Dave, forever. They left me in the room and the doctor says here, he goes, I'm going to give you a chance. I'm going to give you a choice. He goes, you can go home or we can help you. And he walked out of the room and I laid, and I laid my head back and I'm now starting to go, starting to shake because I haven't drank that day. Um, I'm going into some DTs and, and what ends up happening is, is I lay my head back and I close my eyes and I again heard, you don't have to do this anymore. Yeah. It's over. You're done. It's over. And they came back in the room and they said, what, what's your decision? I said, will you please help me? And I went into the hospital. Yay! Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Well, I got to tell you, I'm also an alcoholic. So there's more to this story. So yeah. <laughs> what ends up happening is, is I, I said, hey, I get in there. Um, they give me a shot for the pain and I go into full DTs. I mean, literally my whole entire body is shaking. Yeah, I've yeah. never experienced DTs ever before. And they get me uh, in my room. Twice, and, and it's the worst feeling in the world. Um, I'm you want to die. You do. Well, yeah, you just want to die. Your whole body is just just vibrating yeah. and shaking. So I, 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 while I'm in the hospital, I call my, my employer, my boss, and I said, hey, I've got a problem. I need help. And he says mm -hmm. to me, You've been a good employee. Take the time you need. Go ahead yep. and do what you need. So I had scheduled to go into a rehab. I got out on. I was going to get out on a Friday from the hospital, and I was going. I scheduled for Parker Valley Hope to go into a hospital, go into inpatient treatment on a mm -hmm. Thursday. I get home on that Friday. I walk in, and I'm not here 15 minutes. And I walk over, and I grab a handle of vodka, and I pour yep. myself a full glass of vodka. And I chug it just like I used to do my first mm -hmm. drink. Old and habits. I'm off to the races again. Five minutes. Fifteen. Fifteen. Okay. So, um, so I'm at I'm 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 now at this point now where I have to you know uh, I, I I so I sober up the next day. I go to Parker Valley Hope. The guy says I've got a bed for you. I'm like, oh no 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 no. How about Monday? <laughs> so I go home, drink for a few more days. I call him on Monday. I go in. On, that's on September 9th. I didn't drink that day, September 9th, okay. 2013. And that's my sobriety date. Um, I learned in the in, in rehab. It, it's funny because I got went through rehab and I talked like I knew AA, like the back of my hand. And I, I had this ego, this pride, this arrogance that I knew everything about AA. Listen to me. Well, you've been in treatment. Thing. You've been in treatment three times already. You got treatment talked down by now. I do. I know that I know the spiel, but one of the biggest things that 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 uh, uh, somebody said to me, one of my counselors said to me, Dave, you know, when you get out of here, man, if you don't ask somebody for help, you're fucked. Mm -hmm. So I, I go to intensive outpatient, and I, that's where I found Orchard Club um, because oh, they wow. had a noon meeting, um, mm -hmm. and I started going to their meetings after my IOP, and I was there probably about probably about three months. And I remember sitting in a room and a guy saying to me, um, it was a beginner's meeting and he didn't say to me, but he said to the group, but he was saying it to me. <laughs> I heard loud and clear, take the cotton out of your ears and put it in your mouth, shut mm -hmm. the fuck up and listen. Yeah. And I started listening. And then the guy who's my sponsor today, who's my <laughs> second sponsor. Um, I remember sitting in a meeting and, and him reading page 30 and page 30 of the big book says, is that we have to learn to concede to our innermost self that we are alcoholics and we have to smash the, I'm paraphrasing this, smash yeah. the idea 
that we can drink like normal people. And it says, this is the first step in recovery. Yeah. And I heard that. And it was from there that I asked a man to sponsor me. And it was from there that I asked a man to take me through the steps. Yeah. Now, I had a problem with God. And all the only thing I could do is, is the group became God to me. Okay. Because I saw these people sitting around here and and I saw that they were staying sober. Mm-hmm. And to me, if they could do that, I could do that. That's all I could grasp as a higher power at that point. Well, and they were enjoying life too. You know, they were it. they were genuinely happy, which kind of pissed me off, but they were genuinely happy and I could see that. And I wanted well, that. I, I, I wanted what these people, I, the guy that I asked to sponsor me was also a child of an alcoholic and he had okay. what I had, he had what I wanted. So I asked him to sponsor me, you know, it was through working these steps that I found a higher power. I found a God of my own understanding today. Mm-hmm. And, and I rely upon that, you know, if it weren't for page 30, which says that this is the first step in recovery after I learned. And that's what I never figured out was, is that I always thought Cocaine was my problem when alcohol was my problem. And I could never concede to my innermost self that I was an alcoholic. And that's why I never could get this program. Once I was able to do that, and the big book says that's the first step in recovery, it was very easy for me to understand the first step, which is we are powerless over alcohol and our lives have become unmanageable. Mm -hmm. And I I couldn't get there until I could say that I was an alcoholic and I knew that I was an alcoholic. And then step two, you know, we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. I learned through one of my sponsors what that means. And what that means is, is that God restores me to right thinking. Mm -hmm. My higher power that I believe in today restores me to right thinking and helps me to understand how I think today. Mm -hmm. Um, Right thinking is positive thinking. Um, There's a a guy out there by, and I don't know if it's okay for me to say this, but there's a guy out there called James Allen wrote a book that's called, um, it's called, a man, the, it's called As a Man Thinketh. Okay. And, it, and, and basically the premise of that is, is that uh, we can, we can, we can manifest in our lives good things by positive, by, by, by the way that we think. Yeah. If we think positive things, we're going to receive positive things. If we think mm-hmm. negatively, we're going to receive negatively. Absolutely. There's another guy out, out there that wrote a book by uh, Norman Vincent Peale that wrote a book called The Power of Positive Thinking. Mm -hmm. And his premises was down the same line. We can manifest good things in our lives if we think positively. That's right. And and so that's the second step for me is is that I learned to positively think. I learned to rightly think and God helps me do that every day. Yep. Um, And then the third step, we came to, uh, we, we made a decision to turn our will and our lives over the care of God. Um, that was kind of tough for me because I had some, I wanted to control everything in my life. And now what I've learned today about that is, is that things are going to happen the way they're going to happen, when they're going to happen, uh, in God's time, not my time. Mm-hmm. And so what happens is, is I now get out of the, the, the expectations. Cause when I have expectations of people, places, and things, I'm always going to be disappointed mm-hmm. and disappointment le- leads to resentment for me. Mm-hmm. And so what I learned was, is that I can, uh, God has everything, has my back. God is, has, knows what's right for me. Mm-hmm. And God gives me the intuitive thought to do the next right thing. And so I do the right thing. So through my way that I think, and by remembering that God has my back and that God is in the outcome business, not me. 
Mm -hmm. um, the biggest thing I learned in this program is I'm not God. I'm not the smartest man in the room and I don't know everything. Yeah. And yeah. that was, that was how I learned humility. Yeah. And yeah. that's how I learned to be teachable. And that's how I learned to let the people in the rooms, my sponsor helped me to, to become a better man today. Mm -hmm. um, it's through working the fourth step, taking my personal inventory that I learned about my character defects. And, in the, and then in the fist, giving my fist up to another man and admitting these secrets of my life, yeah, my yeah. life that, that allowed me to become free again. Um, I remember the ninth step promises. And I remember somebody saying one time, and, and I believe this, and I remember these promises coming true as I'm working these steps. And, and the more they come, came, started coming true, the more I wanted of these promises. Mm -hmm. These ninth step promises start coming true. And I start realizing that, that this is what I want for my life. And, and here's how, the way the ninth step promises work for me. Okay. How do I get these ninth step promises? I have to do this. In other words, I have to work these 12 steps yep. to get these promises to come true. Yep. And that's the way it works. And it, it's a process of working these 12 steps that these promises came true to me. Mm -hmm. um, what ends up happening is, is now in the, in the, we turn, you know, we, we ask God to remove our character defects. And, and, and what it says is, says we have to be willing and ready for God to do that. Yeah. So what I've found is, is that not all my character defects have gone away. <laughs> they, they keep coming back up. Sure. Yeah, but I have to up. be willing to let God take those away. And, and the way you become willing is, is when they no longer work for you. Yeah. Um, what a great I way have, to put it. Thank you. I love that. You know, um, you know, it, and, and then we get into the, you know, once we've gone through um, the, the, the ninth step and we've now, made amends to the people that we've harmed. I got to tell you, um, that was the, one of the most freeing moments. You know, the fifth yep. step, pouring my secrets out was, was one freedom. The next freedom was when I started making amends to people and, and getting, this, getting the, my past off of me, cleaning up the wreckage of my past. Yep. When I started doing that, I, I got even more freedom. Mm -hmm. And I believe it was at the ninth step that I started having this this, this neutrality to alcohol. Um, I'm not one of these people that can't go to a party. Um, yeah. I try to stay away from bars, but I'll go occasionally to watch music or something. But sure. um, I'm also very careful about that in that whenever I put myself in those positions, mm -hmm. I always have an exit strategy. Yeah. I always yeah. drive my own car. When mm -hmm. I'm uncomfortable, I leave. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't tell people I'm an alcoholic, but if I, if somebody asks me, you know, I'm not ashamed that I'm an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. um, uh, if people say, you know, would you like a drink? I said, no, I don't drink. Yeah. But that's where, that's where the neutrality came was in the ninth step. 10, 11, and 12 is where I maintain my program. Mm -hmm. I daily take a personal inventory. Um, I, I, get, I, I get up in the morning and, um, you know, I do, I, I pray and I meditate every day. And, and it's, it, it, that's step 11. I, saw, I sought through prayer and meditation to improve my conscious contact with God as I understand him. Mm -hmm. and, and I do that. And for me, conscious contact is a daily thing. Yep. Um, I don't just not only do it in my prayers, but throughout the day, I ask for God's guidance. And what comes to me is, is how God, how I believe, you know, people have asked me, well, does God speak to you? And I said, well, not anymore. I don't do drugs yeah. or alcohol, but I used to hear voices. 
but I don't hear those voices anymore. Yeah. <laughs> um, what I get is I get an intuitive thought. Yeah. God, which is, you know what, Dave, maybe you ought to try this. Maybe you ought to do this or God will give me something. to. Uh, I'll read something and boom, there's the answer. Yeah. Or I'll hear somebody say something in the room and boom, there's the answer. Mm-hmm. That's how God speaks to me today. Yep. And that's the intuitive thought that I get through God is through other people in the rooms, through just thoughts that God puts in my head. Yeah. And then the most important part of this, this, this is, is to carry the message. Mm-hmm. You know, step 12 is, is, is carrying the message to, to the still suffering alcoholic. Um, I honestly believe that the reason why I continue to stay sober today is because I am of service to other alcoholics. I sponsor people. My first sponsor said, Dave, when you're done, when you're done with these steps, you will sponsor people. Yep. And I had a man ask me when I was, when I was still working my 10, 11 and 12 steps to sponsor. (laughs) And I went to my, my sponsor and I said, well, I can't do this. I'm not through the steps. He goes, sure you can. And he goes here. And we went through the 10th, 11th, 12th steps. And he goes, now you go sponsor this guy. (laughs) And I will tell you, this guy's still sober sober today. Wow. And I've had many, many sponsors. Uh, I've had many sponsees and, and it's through working with these other people that I stay sober. So let's, your, your, your podcast is about recovery, Dion. And I kind of end by this, you know, what ends up happening is, is that, um, I found a new purpose in life by working these steps. Yep. And that purpose that I found today, see my purpose used to be drugs, alcohol, cars, houses, money, job. Mm-hmm. Those were the things that were my purpose. When I went through these steps and got sober, and it probably took a couple of two, three years before sure. I realized this, that God came to that, that God gave me the intuitive thought that Dave, your purpose today is not just to make your life better, mm-hmm. but to make the lives of those around you better. Whether Absolutely. that's the people in the rooms, mm-hmm. the you sponsor, the person you meet on the street, at the store, your family, my girlfriend, my job is to make their lives better. Yep. My sponsor tells me that just have a servant's heart, Dave. And that's what I do today is I have a servant's heart. Mm-hmm. So to your, to your recovery people, one of the things in myself is, is that I heard a, a speaker one time say, how do I know that I'm in recovery? And, and, and I'm a very simple person. Okay. And this is really a simple program. And you can mm-hmm. make, you make it as simple as it, it can be. Don't make it hard. Don't overthink yeah. it. <laughs> and he said, he said, how do I know that I'm in recovery? He says, I have a sponsor. I work the steps. I go to meetings. I pray and meditate, and I work with other people. Five yeah. things. And yeah. I'll repeat yeah. that again in case somebody wants to write Let's this down. Let's do that. I have a sponsor. I work the steps. I go to meetings. I pray and meditate every day, and I work with other people. I sponsor mm-hmm. other people. Yep. And you know that's how I gauge whether I'm in recovery or not mm-hmm. is by those five things. And you know what? I'm in recovery today because I worked, I do those five things. Meetings won't keep me sober, but working with another alcoholic helps keep me sober. Prayer Most and meditation certainly. helps me keep, keep me sober. Mm-hmm. Having a sponsor helps keep me sober. You know, it, all of these things are true. I have a, a sponsor. I go to meetings. I work the steps. I pray and meditate and I, and I work with others. You know, Dion, that's that's my story. Uh, I'm going to stick to it. I'm very passionate about the program of Alcoholics Anonymous because it was the last step, the last stop for me. 
Yes. I, I was dying spiritually, physically. Obviously, you guys know I had pancreatitis and, and they told me I was going to die. I, alcohol was killing me physically, but it was killing me emotionally and it had killed me spiritually. Mm-hmm. And today, what I have is, is I, I am physically healthy. I'm emotionally healthy mm-hmm. and I'm spiritually healthy. And, and, and you know what that brings? It brings what, what, the, what, what it says to us. And, 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 the, and, and it says this in the ninth step. I suddenly realized that God was doing for me what I could not do for myself. My favorite one. And what came of that was what the, the ninth step promises says is happy, joyous, and mm-hmm. free. And today I'm free. Today I feel better than any drug or alcohol ever made me feel. Yeah. I'm alive today. And I, I, I live it one day at a time and I'm present one day at a time. I, I just do what I have to do today. And when tomorrow gets here, I'll deal with tomorrow. Mm-hmm. It's not all unicorns and butterflies. There's still, <laughs> no. there's still problems, but guess what it is today? It's yeah. just life. It's just yeah. life. Well, and, and we have a new lease on life. We can have a different attitude towards uh, the same problem that, you know, I certainly do not react to my problems the same way I did five years ago. Um, you know, if the power was to go out today, I don't think I would probably freak out. I would just go take care of it. You know, um, you know, so we, we, um, we definitely get to a point where we are, I don't want to say we become different. I think we become who we're supposed to be, who God wanted us to be along. So, you know, absolutely Dion. What, what I found through this program was, is one, I didn't love myself. I learned mm-hmm. you guys in these rooms loved me until I could learn to love myself. And once I was able to love myself, I was able to give that love away. And yeah. what I found was the genuine me. And it's amazing when yeah. you're yeah. just who you God meant for you to be. Other people accept you. Yeah. Other people <laughs> love you. And, 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 and life happens the way it's supposed to happen when we just let God be in the outcome business and let God Turn our will and our lives over the care of God as you understand it. It works. Well, thank you for, again, thank you for taking your time today, Dave. I really appreciate it. Uh, And I know my listeners do too. Um, So, and thank you everybody for listening in on this Friday. I'm, I'm glad you chose to listen to us instead of maybe going out to the bar or, or something different, you know, those old behaviors. You know, I'd also like to remind everybody that, you know, we all have different bottoms and that's okay. You know, your bottom can be your bottom. You get to choose that. But we all lose one thing before we get here. And that is ourselves. And that's all that matters. So do not compare your story to other people's stories. Instead, take the cotton out of ears, put it in your mouth and listen and listen for the uh, the similarities. So um, thank you everybody again for listening today. I love you all. You know I do. Peace out and have a day. <laughs>